Chris, welcome to episode 208 of X Lapsed, where, uh, well, uh, allergies, stuffed, nasal, dripping, sneezing, I'm sorry. Hopefully it's not too noticeable, but uh, I figured I would uh, preface with an apology just in case it was. Now today we've got an issue of Wolverine, so uh, let's hop right into it. I think he's fighting vampires. Again, uh, this is Wolverine, volume 7, number 12. Had a July 2021 cover date with a legacy number of 354. Stories called Penumbra, written by Benjamin Percy with pencils by Scott Eaton. Inks J.P. Meyer with Oren Jr. Colors Matthew Wilson. Letters VCs Corey Petit. Designs Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edits Amaro Basso White Sabolski. Cover price four bucks. This one went on sale May 19 of 2021. Now we open. With uh, Ben Percy proudly revealing that he just bought the P volume of the encyclopedia Because uh, he really, really wants to tell us what a penumbra is This is definitely an old X-Lapse chestnut at this point Where uh, Mr. Percy likes to tell us what he just learned in the uh, form of a story And you see, a penumbra is the shadow space between true darkness and light now, Louise, as we know, uh, you know, she was a member of the Night Whatevers, and she was a vampire hunter, but now she's kind of a vampire. Well, she uses the term penumbra to describe her current situation, because clearly there's no other way she could, right? Um, you see, she's not quite human, and yet not completely vampire. Now, she and Logan are in Paris, and then she does that kids in the hall, I'm crushing your head thing to the Eiffel Tower, wishing she could just pluck it out of the ground and shove it right through her heart. And, um, hmm, I get being dramatic, but, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be the Eiffel Tower. Any old sharp thing will do you. Uh, Wolverine tells her not to be like that. And he talks a bit about how he's got some darkness inside of him, and he suggests that sometimes being a monster has its advantages. Then they're attacked by Father Cole. He's now a vampire, as we saw last issue. Um, he, of course, was the leader of, uh, the night... Thrashers, the Night Stalkers, Night Fo- Night God, Night God, that's who they are. From here we go into our double-page spread of Roll Call and Cred. Our characters will include Wolverine, Forge, Beast, Louise, Dracula, and Omega Red. Info page. Now there are a lot of words on this page. And when the story is already kind of dull and really overstayed its welcome, it's pretty gutsy move to drop in such a ridiculously dense info page. Now, it's something out of Dr. Boggs's notebook that somehow wound up in X-Force evidence. Now, Boggs, he's fretting about that deal he made with Dracula. We saw him last issue here. And he also thinks that Wolverine's blood is, you know, super cool. Back to comics. Wolverine and Louise fight Father Cole some more. 
He, the, the baddie, that is, he invites Louise to join the new Night Guard, which I hope isn't a book we ever have to read or cover on the show. Then Logan runs him through with a giant cross from off the roof of a church or something, and uh, Cole turns into a bat, or like hundreds of bats, and flies away. Then we jump over to Oxford, where Boggs, Dr. Boggs, he's tending to his former assistant Timothy, who is now all vamped up. Now, Tim's in a cage, Boggs is very apologetic, but, uh, you know, his task is his task, so he has to do what he has to do. And so he injects Tim with a bit of blood to tide him over. But then, Omega Red shows up to make him an offer. Now, he informs Boggs that Dracula has already told him, you know, the jig is up here. Once Boggs' plan plays out, he's going to be killed. He will outlive his usefulness, and Dracula will... Drain him and eat his heart as though it were a hand fruit. Now, Boggs clearly isn't, you know, terribly happy with this turn of events, but uh, he's also hardly surprised. He sees this as kind of a penance for getting into the Dracula business in the first place. Red suggests that, uh, you know what, there might just be a way to save him and Timothy here. Now, it's worth noting that uh, Omega Red, uh, he's... Hmm, he's kind of a, a penumbra of his own here, and he's not keen on that. You see, he doesn't quite fit into Krakoan society, nor does he feel comfortable within the vampire nation. And uh, you'd almost feel bad for the guy if this story was interesting in the slightest, which it really isn't. Uh, scene shift. Over to the Krakoan armory, where Wolverine has just uh, brought Louise. What the hell is this all about? I mean, poor Juggernaut can't step foot onto the place here. Those refugees from King and Black can't stop by. Cyclops' old friends and teammates on the Champions can't take, like, a little respite on the island. But the half-vampire that we've known for five minutes is getting a visit? Huh? Okay. It's like uh, Bruce Wayne bringing Vicky Vale to the Batcave in that Batman movie in 1989. It's like, what? Uh, anyway. Forge has designed her a new costume. Now, this will help her survive in the sunlight. It's a sunblock biosuit, which is lined with porous bone marrow, which will slow her need to feed. There's also a UV lace sword with which to kill any vamp. And a weird, gross living helmet, similar to Domino's weird, gross living arm cannon gimmick. Now, Forge, who isn't quite the chucklehead as usual here, he suggests that uh, Louise is not unlike a walkin' talkin' battle coffin. Now, Louise, very pleased by this, she gives Forge a peck on the cheek for his help. And in uh, maybe the only funny-ish bit of the book, Forge is uh, more than a little uncomfortable with her so close to his neck. Logan and Louise leave the armory with designs on burning a vampire hive in Berlin down to the ground. But then Sage calls. She asks Wolverine to report to the point. And so, there we be. Now, our hero is surprised to see Omega Red is already there, Oddly, nobody there seems all that surprised to see Louise there. <laughs> Poor juggernaut, right? Anyway, Red is tired for, for working with and for Dracula, and so he's got a plan. It involves going against one of the unwritten Krakoan laws, but uh, since this is X-Force business, uh, we don't got to worry about any of that red tape. Though, in five years, when the entire Marvel Universe is wrapped up in the Wolverine clone saga, we might regret that decision. That is, of course, assuming there will be comics in five years, which, I mean, your guess is as good as mine. Anyway, again, uh, the plan involves giving the vampires what they think they want. Wolverine. 
but not the real Wolverine, a booby-trapped, gold-balled Wolverine. Now, Beast is moderating, moderating this discussion, and he thinks it's a wonderful idea. Beast is also a sociopathic mad scientist at this point, so that's not much of a surprise, and his endorsement isn't <laughs> doesn't really say a whole heck of a lot, does it? And so, before we know it, like the very next panel, Dracula is already presenting the captured Wolverine to his vampire nation. And I mean, we're in a rush, you see, because this story has to reach like a neat, neat enough cutoff point before the Hellfire Gala. In case you didn't know, there is a big X-Men crossover event happening really soon. I, they never mention it, so you, you, this may be taking you by surprise, but I, I would like you to prepare for it. It's, it's going to be a big thing from what I hear. Anyway, so yeah, Drac feeds the nation from this Wolverine body in hopes that it'll give them the ability to daywalk. But it doesn't. You see, as mentioned, this cloned body has been booby-trapped. Beast refers to this as a dirty bomb version of Wolverine. The five have, uh, edited his genes. So his blood is now laced with photonic cells, and they produce luminescence. So it's kind of like these vampires are literally feeding on sunlight, which probably isn't in their best interest, now is it? Now, Omega Red captured this version of Wolverine and delivered it back to his boss. Gotta ask, was there any reason for Beast and company to tinker with the sea synth? Uh, it feels like that was kind of a moot point right now, doesn't it? I don't know. So, back to the vampire nation. We got the vamps wriggling and writhing, and then the real Wolverine and Louise show up to slice and dice. Dracula kills Dr. Boggs, which, I mean, does anybody care? Uh, he then turns into a bat and flies away, declaring that mutants might be worse monsters than vampires. Okay, then. Uh, mostly blank quote page follows. And uh, Wolverine tells us that he hates vegetables, whiners, and vampires. So uh, we gotta say regular Ron Swanson here, don't we? Back to comics, and... Uh, are you freaking kidding me? We're in Otherworld? Come on, guys, that's like three books this month in friggin' Otherworld. Uh, Alright, well, they're in Sevilleth, to be specific, and it's the second time this month we're there. We were there in New Mutants. Um, now this, of course, is the vampire area of Otherworld, which Wolverine encountered, and we encountered during X of Tens, and again, recently, in New Mutants. And Marvel Editorial's got some balls here. Uh, they give us an editor's note, a rare editor's note, which proclaims X of Swords to be a, quote, instant classic. That would be a lie. And, uh, you should feel bad for saying anything of the sort there, meta mark. Um... Anyway, these vamps are a bit more sophisticated than Drax Bunch. They take care of their hunger in a more productive way rather than a predatory way. They've got their own they've got their own inventory, basically. They've got their own equipment. Um, now it's hoped that these vamps might help Louise and Logan wipe out Drax vamps, and so they're here to request aid. From Apocalypse's Anubis headed son, the horseman Death, who we haven't seen since the end of X of Tens. And that's where we leave it. Next episode, New Mutants, where hopefully they're not going to be going back to Otherworld 2. I don't think they will be, but uh, I guess we can never be too sure in these books, can we? But uh, that is something we'll discover next time. For now, let's talk about Wolverine. And, well, there really isn't a whole lot to talk about, is there? Um, anybody enjoying this? Uh, is anybody enjoying this uh, vampire story that we've been dealing with for... 
on and off 12 issues now? Is anybody still entertained by this? Is anybody looking forward to seeing how this wraps up? Is anybody invested in the fates of Louise and the Night Guard? Is anyone interested in the fate of Dracula, who, even if he dies when we come back from the Hellfire Gala, will probably show up in another Marvel book within the year, and no one will ever mention this again? Or it'll be just hand-waved away? I mean, for real, is, uh, is anybody enjoying this? This has gone on way too long. And I mean, I've got uh, I've got no interest in vampires to begin with. But if you're going to give us like a two or three part story, I can I can make do, right? As so long as that story is interesting and uh, uses uses maybe uses something that I don't find interesting in an interesting or at least a unique way. It's not what we get here. I mean, this is like the third or fourth time that Dracula has tried to have a vampire nation in like the past four or five years. So it's. A bit much of the same thing, and the fact that we've dragged this out since the very first issue of this book... I mean, we're on issue 12 right now, and the seeds for this were dropped in the first issue. It's a little too much, and at this point, I'm not sure that it's possible to come up with an ending that'll be in any way satisfying, much less completely satisfying... This is just going on for way too long, and to make matters worse, now we're in friggin' Otherworld... And yes, I understand and appreciate that I do have a knee-jerk bias against Otherworld. I I know when we see Otherworld, my eyes turn red and I start ranting and raving, but this is getting silly, isn't it? I mean, this has turned into parody at this point. We had three books in Otherworld this month. Three different books telling three different stories in Otherworld. Can we we please? (laughs) I, I, I asked for like... Can we have three or four months off from Otherworld? Now I'd be happy with three or four weeks. Can we just not? Just for a minute. All right, all right. I'm not going to mention Otherworld again. I will do my best not to mention Otherworld again for at least uh, the rest of this episode. Unless the mailbag goes into it. Then we'll we'll do Otherworld again. Um, Louise going to Krakoa. I mentioned during the synopsis that that... uh, I don't want to say that it didn't sit right with me because... Honestly, I don't care. I really don't care if she's on Krakoa or on the moon. Um, it just seems kind of kind of quick to bring someone over who's kind of uh, potentially dangerous, right? She's at least a half vampire, and who knows uh, what sort of uh, mental programming she's got going on, right? It uh, could be pretty dangerous to uh, to the Krakoans. And here, Wolverine's just like, nah, she's coming, and. Uh, Takes her to the top-secret uh, X-Force base at the point. I mean, most of the Krakoans don't know that place exists, and Louise has now been there. Okay. <laughs> Fine. Um, what else? What else happened here? Um, Omega Red's plan. Omega Red has this brilliant plan to make a fake Wolverine fill him with, uh, fill him with sunshine <laughs> and uh, feed it to the vampires here. It's not a bad idea. It makes sense. Why did we take 12 issues to get here? Why didn't Beast think of it first, since he is a damn sociopath right now who uh, doesn't seem to have any trouble breaking any of the rules of Krakoa, including killing Omega Red himself? But, uh, you know, dupe rules be damned here. Just make a second Wolverine. He knows the vampires want his blood. That was what started this whole story in the first place. You figure between Beast and Sage and Wolverine himself, they would have been like, hey, how, why don't we try this? But no, we have to wait until Omega Red comes up with it. Because we need we need to get another four issues out of this damn story. So yeah, not my not my favorite issue. Um it, it almost feels like we're being 
like we were already knocked to the ground and they're, they're still kicking us uh, over the past several weeks we've had uh We've had some good stuff, of course. We've had some great stuff, but we've had a lot of rotten stuff too, and a lot of uh, a lot of water treading, a lot of uh, time killing, a lot of time wasting, and this is a this is a victim of that. As much as it's a, a you know an indictment on it, I feel like these writers are put in a position where it's like, hey, you need to you need to get to a nice clean wrap up point so we can do this damn Hellfire Gala. And, oh, by the way, in a couple of months, you're going to have to get to another clean point so we can do Infernal. And then in a couple of months after that, we're going to have uh, Onslaught 2, the Onslaughtening, so you're going to have to close things off for that. It really just is a sign of the times here where our writers aren't getting the opportunity to to write long stories. And this is a, this here is a long story. This is a story that's gone on way too long, but it's been interrupted several times. So it just feels like it's endless, where maybe if we got it done in three or four issues, like maybe it was meant to be, We'd be over it, and uh, we'd be better for it because we'd be on to something else. But when we have to send Wolverine to hell to find a sword, and then we have to send him somewhere else to fight someone with that sword, then we throw in some mini arcs with the Pale Lady and Maverick, and now we're gonna have the Hellfire Gala. It's I I, I wonder how they're gonna collect this series, or how they already did collect the series. I haven't looked. I can't imagine it's going to be a satisfying read Unless they are waiting to collect this vampire stuff all at once Who knows But yeah, to uh, say anything else would be Veering into repeating myself even more than I already am Um, This is an exercise in treading water And uh, hopefully once the Hellfire Gala is in the rear view We can finish up this damn vampire story And maybe, maybe get to something a little bit more interesting But uh, that's all I got to say about this issue of Wolverine. Now let's lighten things up by hopping into the mailbag here. We're going to be talking about an issue of Wolverine. And we also have a a twofer here talking about Children of the Atom. Two very different takes on Children of the Atom number one. Now let's start with Damien, who's talking about Wolverine number ten. He says, there's so much about Wolverine that I like, but it never really lands. The art is phenomenal, and there's a lot of li- there's lots of little Easter eggs, and you know that must be coming from Percy, as Kubert couldn't even get Kitty's look right at the beginning of the series. I don't think this is a case of the artist sneaking stuff in. This arc has felt like a classic Wolverine story. It could almost come from the Hammer Run. Having said that, we also get the government as villains, which feels tired and played out by now. And Percy gets the opportunity to write the real CIA to go with his mutant CIA and X-Force. Talking of Dolores and the CIA, I get the feeling that the director from her call on the text page is going to wind up being significant. Knowing Percy's ability to disappoint, it'll probably turn out to be Romulus or Dracula. (laughs) Oh, boy. Now, the issue Damien's talking about here is uh, Wolverine and Maverick going out on their last little adventure together to uh, basically destroy the warehouse where the Legacy House auction house um, keeps their stuff. So it's a whole bunch of Marvel Universe memorabilia And there were a lot of cool little nods there You know, all the stuff that you'd imagine you'd see You know, um, a coffin for Dracula is there uh, Some Iron Man armor is there Some Dr. Octopus tentacles are there Pumpkin bombs are there All the really cool Marvel stuff that we see sometimes in those kind of shots here So in that regard, it was really, really cool Just to kind of behold these pages here And uh, I definitely agree with Damien here That uh, that's probably, probably Percy saying Here, put you know, put some of this stuff in there And I'd almost completely forgotten about Dolores' email here Actually, I did completely forget about her uh, her message To whoever the director is here And, you know, I didn't even give whoever that is a second thought So maybe they'll be important 
maybe they uh, maybe they won't be. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, Damien continues. There remains no way that it can be claimed that this Dolores is the same one who wrote the memos in those early issues of Marauders. She must be a clone or a shapeshifter or an evil twin. They cannot be reconciled. And yeah, it's uh, one of the things we talked about here was the way um, Dolores What's-A-Face was uh, depicted here. Very different from her time with the Marauders. With the Marauders, she and Storm had a, a very nice conversation on a subway. Dolores kind of whistle blew uh, some poisoned magic meds that uh, Ominous Verandy kind of tainted, and uh, she seemed like an ally more than anything. Here, seemed a little bit less of an ally. She seemed uh, like she had some sort of sinister motivations here. And uh, as this this arc ends with her trying to draft uh, Maverick into her cause, it uh, definitely amps that up, the feeling that there's... Uh, there's something sinister about her, but it, as Damien said, it's really, really hard to reconcile this character with the one that we saw earlier in Marauders, who was much more sympathetic and uh, much more sympathetic to the Krakoans than, uh, than we're seeing here. Damien continues, I don't know if you've heard, but Madripoor is a lawless place. Huh. <laughs> Seriously, though, enough already. You're right that we're spending far too much time in Madripoor and Otherworld. I wonder if this comes down to the simple, simple expediency of them being locations under the control of the ex-office. If they set their stories in New York, they have to grapple with whatever's going on in the rest of the Marvel Universe, such as King and Black. Whereas with their own unique locations, they've got full control. It is a possibility. And yeah, I think you are 100% right here, and I would actually take it a little bit more uh, micro than that here. I think that these are places that are not only under the purview of the ex-office, but they're also perhaps places that uh, Jonathan Hickman has no real designs on uh, doing much with at the moment. So uh, he can do his story, he can weave his tapestry while everybody else can be you know, kind of safely aside, but not completely off the board, right? We're going to do Madripoor because Hickman's grand plan doesn't ha- doesn't need Madripoor at the moment. We'll do Otherworld because Hickman's grand plan doesn't need Otherworld at the moment. That's kind of my take on it. I, I could be 100% wrong and, uh, you know, very likely that I am, but that's just how it feels to me that these are safe places for the uh, for the rest of the uh, the X-Brain Trust to, to play with. And I mean, as tired as we are of you know, Madripoor and Otherworld and the Mojoverse and uh, who knows where else. It's places that nobody really needs right now. So that's where all the stories that, that's where all the gravy's going to go, right? That's where all the, the, the seasoning and the flavor will wind up. Uh, Damien continues. It's good to have other characters reference the cultish elements of Krakoan society, even if he made the classic Kool-Aid error. Yes, he sure did. And that's a reference to me being... Uh, kind of a pedantic dick about uh, people saying don't drink the Kool-Aid because, well, in Jonestown it was grape flavor aid, not Kool-Aid. So uh, you know, credit where it's due, right? Uh, you gotta, you gotta give credit where it's due. Damien continues. The part of the Jonestown tragedy that always stands out for me is that most of the people who drank the poison were forced to at gunpoint. So it doesn't work as most people intend, as they didn't choose death. And that's true. Um, if you're familiar with the Jonestown uh, Massacre here, it is a absolutely chilling um, story. And um, there's actually... Uh, I shouldn't even tell you that you could find this stuff, but um, you could find audio of the uh, the Flavor Raid drinking. 
you can horrible horrible stuff um horrifying stuff stuff you don't want to hear um and as damien points out here this wasn't uh this wasn't completely voluntary i'm sure there were some people there who did it voluntarily who really bought you know jim jones's uh you know hoo-ha but um yeah a lot of them figured no we're done we're gonna go home now you know we don't want to we don't want to do this and at gunpoint, they were forced to not only drink the, uh, you know, the poisoned, uh, the poisoned drink themselves, but also to force feed the stuff to their children. Sometimes, you know, babies, infants, just a, a horrible, horrible, horrible thing. And uh, it's it's kind of weird how it's kind of lost its oomph a bit, where it's, it's now it's just like a joke, you know. Don't drink the Kool Aid. It's it's like well that that stemmed from something truly. Truly horrible, and uh, something, it's like even, you know, you can't even wrap your head around it. You know what happened, but ugh, it's its a hard one to think about. It's a hard one to digest. Now, Damien wraps up with, anyway, until Marvel publishes Frank Miller's Kool-Aid Man. <laughs> Make my next lapsed. Oh, could you imagine? I, I'm the GD Kool-Aid Man, yeah, oof. But thank you so much for, uh, for writing in there, Damien. I always look forward to your messages, so thank you so much. Uh, Next, we're going into two takes on Children of the Atom, number one. Our first comes from Evan, and he says, The idea of the characters being first-gen chimeras didn't occur to me until after I finished reading the issue. I was telling a friend about it, and noting Cherub's use of a sonic blast, I believe, that looked an awful lot like Havoc's power signature. The cap may be out of the bag by now, but here in Marvel Unlimited land, I think it's plausible that these kids are experiments of Sinisters, with the mutant gene suppressed somehow so they can't wind up on Krakoa unexpectedly. Well, no, the cat's not out of the bag just yet. Um, we have a few, very few breadcrumbs here. Um, I think the solicits for issue, boy, five or six say that the that the reveal will be made then, which feels like maybe four issues too late. But, uh, yeah, still not sure what they are. Still not sure exactly what they are yet. Evan continues, As for your fear that they might be inhumans, I hadn't thought of it until you mentioned it, but I'm okay with it. As ridiculous as the attempts to virtually replace mutants with inhumans, as opposed to just building up the inhumans, it would seem weird for that era to just disappear. And, you know, I... I really don't know what the Inhumans are up to anymore. I don't think... I think all, like, eight or nine of the ongoings they launched at once are, are gone. So, uh, is Ms. Marvel an Inhuman by proxy or something like that? Maybe she is handling the uh, the Inhuman quarter of uh, the Marvel Universe here. But there very well may be a reveal that uh, these are Inhumans. Um, and you're right. For as hard as Marvel pushed them, for it to completely go away seems a little weird. And... Um, I gotta put myself into the uh, the shoes of um, the two or three Inhuman fans that walk this planet, and appreciate that uh, you know it would suck that a story that was built for a number of years is just gone. Because hey, as an X Men fan, we've all seen that happen before. We actually saw it happen when they tried to replace him with the Inhumans. So yeah, I'm a big fan of lore, good, bad, and ugly. So whatever happens, I, I like to not have things swept away. Evan continues. I knew something wasn't on the up-and-up with the Coda kids from online chatter, though not outright spoilers, but the ending where they couldn't get through the gate and the disappointment they felt still hit hard. You could see and feel their sadness, and I'm curious to see where it goes from here. And you know, I was with you there uh, after reading the first issue. Um, 
But then some stuff happened, right? Issue 2 came out and it's basically It's not the same story But it's very, very similar to the first story And also there was that weird little mishap With the Marvel Digital version Having a different last page Which tells me that Marvel doesn't even know what they're doing with this book You know, uh, we we turn to them for answers And for guidance And uh, they can't seem to keep it straight So, I don't know it's, It really lowers my optimism a little bit at that point Evan wraps up with, and I can't believe I almost forgot to mention that appearance by Maggot. Hey, if hundreds of thousands of mutants are living on the island, there's no reason that Wolverine, Cyclops, and Magic have to go on every single mission. And you're right, I think they they only have to, by by law and by contract, they only have to go on 98% of those missions. So for the two that they don't have to, that's when we get uh, these nice little cameos by Maggot. And uh, I do like that it was the Joe Majuara take on Maggot, too, um, where he's kind of, you know, big and beefy like his first appearances and not the more shrunken and, like, normal human-sized uh, character that we saw toward the end of his uh, his initial arc. So it was cool to see Maggot. It would be nice if he wasn't just there to, you know, pop me and the people of my vintage, <laughs> right, if they actually had a plan for him. But, well, we can't have everything, can we? But uh, thank you so much for that message there, Evan. Uh, Next up, we got another take on Children of the Atom number one from our friend Jody. And he says, Due to Marvel Unlimited, I just finished Children of the Atom number one. I don't know who this is for. It's certainly not for me. And I don't think its intended audience will ever see it. This might be the first post-Hoxpox era book that I have to pass on and just listen to the reviews for. Based on social media I've seen for the show, X-Corp is worse? I can't fathom that being the case, but I guess I'll find out a couple of months from now. Well, for starters, yes, X-Corp is worse. (laughs) And I mean, I I didn't hate the first issue of Children of the Atom myself. I thought it was okay. Um, Maybe a little unnecessary. It definitely felt kind of like a non-starter, especially since we know that this book was supposed to come out like a year ago, right before... The, uh, the X of Swords event So this was supposed to be out a long time ago The fact that it took so long to come out um, It tells me that it's not important And that's one of those things that That's that, definitely a Chris problem That I just can't let go with the fact that you know Marvel themselves didn't think it was so important That they could just wait a year with it And then when they put it out There's an error with the last page And then the second issue is basically The same as the first It's I don't know, it just doesn't feel like a priority It's hard to invest in something that I feel like Marvel isn't fully getting behind, right? And I don't think that uh, Vida Ayala is is to blame here I'm sure they are working as hard as they can on this book It's just that it just doesn't feel like a priority It doesn't feel necessary This line is already way, way, way too big It's way bloated So this just feels like like more of the same Um, I am a teeny tiny bit... um, Curious to see how this all turns out So, I mean, we'll be here So uh, if the book just ain't for you Or if any of the books aren't right for anybody listening uh, We'll be here And we'll be talking about them And uh, maybe I can help you you know, Figure out which books to steer clear of And which ones you might want to steer into So it's part of the uh, the magic of X-Labs, I suppose um, But yes, again, X-Corp is uh, <clears throat> not great uh, but thank you so much for sharing your thoughts there, Jody. I'm looking forward to uh, hearing more as uh, as you catch up and as Marvel Unlimited catches up with uh, with the unstoppable juggernaut that is this show. 
<clears throat> Thank you all so much for writing in. Uh, before we cut on out of here, it is a Monday episode, so let's take a look at this week in X. Now, if you are following this program via Marvel Unlimited, uh, well, you only got two books this week. And uh, one of them's a King and Black tie in. You got Sword Number Four, and you got X Force Number 18. So, not a big week on Unlimited. But it's a pretty big week on the shelves. We got Sword Number Six. This is mostly going to be a Hellfire Gala stuff, of course. Um, Sword Number Six, Way of X Number Three, which I cannot wait for, and Wolverine Number Thirteen. Now, also we have X Men Legends Number Four. We got Marvel's Voices Pride Number One, which we're going to be covering here uh, somewhere down the line because uh, there are X Men stories to be found in there, including the uh, introduction of Somnus, whoever that might be, if he is the same fellow we met in Indigenous Voices or if it's someone altogether new. I'm, either way, I'm looking forward to finding out more about Somnus. And finally, Guardians of the Galaxy Number Fifteen, which uh, we may or may not be covering on the show. I do have it on my pre-orders just in case. It turns into something that we need to discuss here, but uh, I do believe this is what kicks off the Guardians and Sword crossover, which will lead into Last Annihilation, Final Annihilation, uh, Crisis Annihilation, one of those things. Whatever it's going to be that's going to occupy Sword, Guardians of the Galaxy, and uh, that Cable one-shot over the next couple of months. So, yeah, pretty uh, spendy week. Sword 6, Wave X3, Wolverine 13, X-Men Legends 4, Marvel Voices Pride 1, and Guardians of the Galaxy 15. Oof, our wallets are crying, but uh, that'll do it for today. Uh, if anybody would like to get a hold of me, I would invite you to do so several different ways. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, Instagram at 90sXmen, you can shoot an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, or you can call into the voicemail line at 623 623- 396-JERK For blog posts and show notes, you can head over to chrisoninfiniteearths.com You can also head over to Facebook If you're a Facebook person, our little group is 90s X-Men, where we talk about fun stuff each and every day Finally, for all your Chris and Reggie comic commentary needs, you can head to chrisandreggie.podbean.com where I'm kind of celebrating the five-year anniversary of our little channel and uh, re-airing some uh, classic stuff does it make me sound stuck up to, cl- to refer to any of our old stuff as classic? <laughs> I don't know, but uh, I've recently compiled our five-part uh, discussion on the Comics Code Authority um, into one great big episode, an eight-hour show, calling it Chris and Reggie's Total Package, <laughs> where it's uh, the entire conversation there. So you don't have to go hunting for it if you're new to the channel, or if it's something you want to listen to again if you haven't listened to it in, you know, five years. It might be time to uh, to give it a listen again. If you liked it the first time, you might still like it now. I hope you do. And it'll make it a little bit easier for uh, for folks who only know this channel as the X-Labs channel to, uh, to learn a little bit more about the roots of this channel and just how... Uh, Special, uh, my relationship and partnership with Reggie was for uh, all those years. So yes, chrisandreggie.podbean.com. And uh, while you're there, if you uh, like what you hear, or at least appreciate the effort that goes into it each and every day, I would love for you to spread the word, share the show, tell a friend or two. It'd really, really, really make my day. Speaking of which, it makes my day every day when you invite me to be part of yours. So thank you all so, so much. And until next time, as always... I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. The 
dancing to a different 